the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 7777 or visit slash chat for Connecticut, 1 800 Gambler, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1 877 Stop for Louisiana, 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1 877 8 Hope NY, or text Hope NY for New York, Tennessee Redline, 1 800 889 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. Welcome to another episode. Welcome to another hangout. I appreciate you. Thanks for, um, I'm, I was going to say putting on your headphones and listening to this, but maybe you're just listening to it out loud in your room. Maybe you're cleaning or sweeping or multitasking. Maybe you're in the gym. Ooh, what are you doing right now? Uh, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Okay, so I don't know if you guys, I mean, if you are listening to the Tuesday episode and then if you're even listening to the tail end and I'm like wrapping everything up, but I had teased after the Dustin Rhodes episode that dropped on Tuesday that I'm like, ooh, William Regal's going to be my next guest. It's in the can. We did it. And it's great. And you guys are going to love it. Of course, it's William Regal. Why would you not? But this sweet angel fluttered down from the heavens. And I was like, man, you know what? Let's get Laura Sanko in the hot seat. Let's have a chit chat and let's release it right now. She was there at UFC 274 this past weekend. She got to work the event, got to witness everything firsthand. So, of course, you know, we get into a few of the things that happened there, especially when we're talking about the um, the straw weight title fight and what went down with uh, some of the ladies. We did not get into that Tony Ferguson knockout, though. Whoa, was that... Dirty or what? Wow, Michael Chandler. Good God. Good night. Anyways, Laura Sanko is on for this episode of the show. So she actually hopped on when I was doing my Sirius XM show with uh, Misha Tate, which you can catch Mondays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM uh, Fight Nation Channel 156, Throwing Down with Renee and Misha. We get to have so many great guests on that show. We only have them for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And somebody like Laura, she came on and I was like, oh my God, I like, are we best friends? Should we be best friends? I feel like we are just two chicks cut from the same cloth and have like, you know, pretty similar experiences. I mean, her road to broadcasting is much different than mine, but the fact that she is the first woman in the Zufa era of UFC to serve as color commentator, she did the Contender Series and she made it very, very clear, put it out to the universe, to Dana White. Said she's going to be the first female color commentator 
analyst to be part of UFC. And lo and behold, she's already done that. But I think she means more. She wants a little more meat on that bone. She wants to do a fight night. She wants to do a pay-per-view. And hopefully the stars will align to make that happen because she's great. And I feel like if anyone is uh, apt to jump in there to do that, she would be fantastic. We also just talk about the UFC um, broadcast team. I really feel like they have no duds. They're all very good. Anyways, Laura Senko's very cool. You guys are going to love her. If you're unfamiliar with her, prepare to fall in love because she's really cool. And (laughs) we really opened the show with a great story. So here it is. Here's Laura Senko. ready for this interview and I was like I have a feeling that Laura's gonna be wearing a hat so I'm also gonna wear a hat because who wants to do their hair a that's precisely why I did it because I literally this morning I jumped out of the shower didn't do a thing to my hair but the other thing is I have a disproportionately big forehead and it's really just (laughs) accentuated on these on these (laughs) zoom angles so you'll rarely see a video of me doing a zoom call without a hat on You know what? I just got this like fancy new camera and I watch it back. I'm like, oh, this camera does for sure add like 10 pounds or it's like it's too, you know, when like the camera's too fancy. You're like, okay, can we maybe slap a filter on and maybe we don't need to see me that well? Let's calm down. That's how I felt when the UFC changed uh, their cameras. Oh my God. For social media. And I was like, guys, we don't, we don't need 80K or whatever this is at this point. I like me a little fuzzy. Yeah. Give me like that old Joan Rivers. Let's Vaseline the lens. Let's give me that up light. Help a girl out. That is really stressful because those cameras, which are like, obviously they're beautiful when you're watching the action, when you're watching the walkout, all that stuff. They look great. Do not shoot me on that. No, no. And as I inch very, very close toward 40 as a woman in television, I'm more and more and more and more and more and more aware of the God of lighting. Football fans, check out the three and out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. I don't know if this is like a good conversation or not, but what are the things when you watch back that you're like, oh my God, this is the thing that drives me nuts. Do you have something? There's a laundry list. Like sometimes the way I stand or like how I'll choose to hold my hands in a certain situation. Like, What was I doing? You know what would kill me is when I'd be doing interviews and like I'm in WWE and everyone's gigantic, but I would... They usually wanted me like in like behind the wrestler so they look even bigger. But if I'm talking to somebody and I'm interviewing them from like, you know, and my arms coming across me and your arm is pressed against your body, I'm like, what is happening here? So on the desk, if they put me on the end and I won't say anything, but I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, no. put me farther no. back. I don't want to look larger. Yes. Like You don't need to look like you're the same size as Daniel Cormier. No. And I already, you know, I always wear heels because I'm built like a wiener dog. Like I have, 
the longest torso and the shortest leg. So I'm always in heels and people are constantly like, how tall are you? Like 5'10"? And what do you weigh? Like 150? I'm like, no, that's just the camera doing that. I'm really kind of petite to be honest. Oh my God. That, yeah, we would sit at this desk and luckily I would always be at like the corner of the desk. So the other dudes are built, you know, they're out on the sides and then the cameras hit them first. So they look gigantic. I am so petite, tucked back in the corner. I'm like, thank God, let's keep that coming. Oh, this is this is the life of a female broadcaster in sports, you guys. Well, I guess just kind of everything. If you're working on like a, a show that's all women, I guess you'd be like, well, who's got the shit under the stick that's got to go on the end of the exactly. desk? <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. And I don't think these are conversations that the uh, that the guys are having. They're not. And yeah, I'm like, I don't know if this is like a poo-pooed conversation. Like you guys are women in sports and you should not be, you know, you, you think you like don't want to have these conversations, but like legit, these are the things that we're thinking about sometimes. You know, it is what it is. They are. And, and there are things that fans love to point out to us as well. Another favorite, apparently like my eyebrows are not symmetrical, which they just aren't. Like that's how God put them on my face. But our poor makeup artist who is amazing and like the best makeup artist on the planet get so much grief for my eyebrows. I'm like, guys, that's just the heavens above chose to put them on my face that way. They, they are in fact, my eyebrows. They're not like drawn on and they're just, they're just like that. I always <laughs> love doing like a pretty nude makeup look, but a, a bright red lip. Love that look. And it, it doesn't seem like it's a lot of makeup, but working with so many dudes, like, why do you have on so much makeup? I'm like, I don't. I just have on a red lip. Everything else is pared down. You need to calm down. Details. Oh, my gosh. It's all in the details. It's ridiculous. Well, hey, I'm really glad that we got you on the show. You have been on my list for a while. Ever since you um, came on with me and Misha when we were doing a little throwing down, I was like, I need, like, more than just the 15 minutes with Laura Sanko so that we can shoot the shit. I feel like we're kind of cut from the same cloth. It's so funny that you say that because after we did that one interview, I literally went away. I'm like, I want to hang out with her. I really want to <laughs> yes. hang out with her and not just, I mean, this is, this is a good second choice, but I'm like, I wish I lived yeah. here. I feel like we would be yeah. friends. Oh my God. We could be like, yeah, cool mom friends are just like smashing beers at the park. Exactly. Could we do that? Exactly. That would be great. <laughs> um, okay. So as I was setting this up, you sent me your phone number, you DM me your phone number, and I messaged you and I was like, mm, she's not getting back to me. And then realized, oh, it's because I fully messaged the wrong number. Um, that person still never responded to me anyway. So I guess they also were not interested in coming on the podcast. Oh, that's disappointing. I know. It could have been, it could have been a fun rogue one. Um, but you said that you have a story of this, of trying to what happened. There's a guy at the UFC who's like Dana's right-hand person in terms of social media. There's also Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture, who I work with quite a bit when I'm in Vegas. I'm like always hitting up like, hey, can we hit pads or just shooting the shit and figuring out, you know, what's going on with the spiders, that type of stuff. And they're both Eric and my phone and just Eric, no last name. Well, that was my initial problem is like I hadn't really bothered, I guess, to put a last. I think I had Eric's Nixick's last name in there, but maybe not the other Eric. Anyway, um, I had just come from working out with. Nick sick. And like during the workout, I was starting to not feel good. And I, I felt like such a pussy. We need to call this quits. Cause like something's happening in my tummy right now. That's not good. So I go back to my hotel, the things that happen happened <laughs> and being the, like the, the dude chick that I am, I texted Eric and I was like, I was like, yeah, just fucking like blew up my hotel room, <laughs> like literally pissing out 
my, I think I even typed like pissing out my ass and I sent it to him and Eric Dana's guy texts back. He's like, wow, hope you feel better by tomorrow. Um, can I get you anything? And I was like, oh, a Gatorade God. would be great. Thanks. Just out of nowhere. I'm texting this guy about my, my, you know, tummy trouble and my bowel movements apparently. Yeah, I definitely message the wrong people sometimes. It's funny. My husband's like, how? I don't understand how you do that. I've never got myself like in like a sticky situation. But yeah, there's definitely times, especially if you're like talking a little shit to be like, better make sure this is going to the right person. Not that I ever do that. I would never. Or those open mics when you're mic'd up and you forget you're mic'd up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was one thing at WWE that was really great. They'd always kind of like remind you, like, the mics are hot, guys. Let's not uh, be a little careful here about what we're talking about. Yeah, you forget that like 30 people in a truck can hear everything you're doing and saying. Oh, to think of the thing. It hasn't happened to me. Thank God. I'm knocking on wood over here, but I know people it has happened to. I'm like, oh. I'm sure it's happened to me before, for sure. I mean, whether someone just like overheard a conversation or... If I'm like have on like a lav mic and I'm like, oh, I just got to run to the bathroom yeah. and didn't like shut it off and somebody, you know, here's. Oh, that's for sure happened. I don't even worry about that anymore. I think they're probably pretty used. That's on audio. You should shut it off when you start to hear the, the buttons coming undone. But hey, that's up to you. Okay, let's talk a little you here. How did you get in to MMA? Petite, sweet, Laura. You were Adam weight, yeah? Yeah, I fought at 105. Um, wow. I, haven't, I haven't seen 105 in a few years. I haven't seen 105 since I was a preteen, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm five, five. I weigh like 120 walking around now. Um, when I was growing up, I did karate, but I didn't do it in an overly competitive sense. I wasn't like going to tournaments every week or anything like that. I was just taking classes consistently and working my way up the belt structure. I really liked that. Um, and then I went through like a really difficult personal time right after college. I got married stupidly young. And it was an absolute disaster. And I was divorced six months later after I got married. I came from a really conservative Christian upbringing. That's the one thing you're not supposed to fuck up. And then I did. And so anyway, I just needed like, man, I needed to put my mind somewhere else other than like where it was inside my own head, feeling just like a piece of crap human being. I really had never been an athlete, really had never even worked out consistently other than doing the karate. Um, So I joined a local gym. And I kept seeing these guys like doing martial arts in the corner and grappling and all this stuff. And I had been a fan of MMA beforehand and of course grew up in the martial arts. It wasn't like entirely alien to me, but I could tell it wasn't like a formal class. It was just two guys getting together. And I finally worked up the courage one day and I walked over and I was like, Hey, do you like offer lessons or is there any way I can jump in with you guys? I'd love, I would love to learn. I'm a man. I would love to learn jujitsu. And, and they basically laughed at me. And continued to laugh at me for like the next few months. But I would I would find myself like doing my sets over by them and just like watching. And then I think I was just persistent enough. And it turns out that uh, I didn't really know who he was at the time, but it was a guy named Rob Kimmins, who was one of the first UFC fighters uh, out of the Kansas City area. So he was kind of a OG of like truly hitting the top of the top uh, in yeah. MMA. He didn't. Uh, I don't know that he accomplished like tons in the UFC, but he was in the UFC, which at the time was a huge, huge deal. So fast forward and they finally kind of like accept me. And it really just ends up being Rob, myself, and maybe one other person. And we're like training four hours a day 
And so I, I got a really intensive, almost like one-on-one, they were able to really help me and my technique Cause sometimes I think when you show up at a big class, like you spend a good year, not really getting noticed and you're probably doing most of the things wrong. And the instructor is focused on the real fighters as he should be, or she should be. So I I was lucky that I didn't have to kind of go through that process. And it really sort of, you know, ramped up my ability to, to get into the sport. I just, I loved it, loved it immediately. I had, I had loved watching it for years and then doing it as I, as I suspected was even better. What was it that you loved about it so much? We all know exercise is good for mental health, but lifting weights, running, um, I could put lots of things in that category. I'm still up in my head as I'm doing it. Even if I have music on, I'm still like up here overanalyzing my life and whatever. MMA and jujitsu and probably a few other things as well. You, you have to be so in the moment that even if it's just for that one hour of rolling or one hour of sparring, whatever it is, you can't think about anything else. It's like I could feel the chemicals in my brain beginning to write themselves. That's what I loved about what it did for me in terms of like what I loved about the sport. I've just always been really scrappy and I've always kind of had, uh, I don't want to say a chip on my shoulder, but like I grew up with an older brother and I was, I was like the little mascot of the group. It would be him and like five of his guy friends and he's four years older than I am. And then me tagging along, always looking to keep up, always looking to prove myself like, oh, you guys are going to bike three miles today. I can do that. You know, you guys are going to go climb this pile of dirt. I'll, I'll do it too. You know, that's my whole life has been like, oh no, no, I can do that. I can keep up with the guys. Like I got this. So you're wrestling around, you're rising the ranks. When did the decision to go pro? I really had no intention of fighting at all. I just liked the training, but then the gym where I was going, um, cause eventually those guys at the workout gym transitioned me to real MMA gym. Um, and it's the same gym I've been a part of since everyone there fought. So it was always like, you know, we see you working so hard in here. You got to at least go do one amateur fight to tell your grandkids about yada, yada, yada. And of course I fell in love with that. I made my first, my first fight, the first half of it, I got completely, I got my ass kicked, but then I, I turned the tables and made the girl verbally tap to strikes, which is like the best feeling in the whole world. So I was fully addicted after that, but it was such a weird time in MMA because women's MMA was still very much like this freak show sideshow thing that they would just sort of like slap onto male MMA cards. I just kind of ran out of like people to fight, especially at 105, which still isn't even in the UFC. It's just, it was difficult. I was scouring um, like forums. I was stalking girls on Facebook, trying to figure out where I could, where I could fight people. But then Invicta came along. So when I saw that Invicta was there and they could make the fights happen. And I just had to show up and do it. That was the decision to go pro because I actually, for the period of time, I had a lot of amateur experience compared to um, a lot of women at that time. I had probably been ready to go pro for a while. It's just, I didn't really know what that looked like. But then when Invicta came along, you know, it was really exciting times because, and I remember going to their first show. It was incredible. It was like one of the best MMA shows I've ever seen in my life because every good female fighter was on that card. And it was like, they all knew this is my chance to show everybody to show the UFC, whatever, what y'all are missing out on. And it was epic. It was so good. That was still during the time when, uh, when Dana said that women weren't going to fight in UFC. Correct. It was right around, I think when Invictus started, um, it probably was right around the time when he met Rhonda, if I'm doing my math correct. So she was having, she was tearing through strike force and doing really well. And I I'm sure starting to 
raise a few eyebrows like, oh, this is interesting, you know, and then um, I would love to know when that fateful dinner was that we always hear about. Wouldn't you love to have like a recording of how that actually went? We need Amber Heard there with her recording devices. Yes. <laughs> that trial is insane. <laughs> I can't stop watching I can't it. Either. I know it's nuts. It I is crazy. Either. But I wish I wish Rhonda would like relive the conversation. And I want to know if it was like her, I don't want to say begging, but like having to like really plead. I get the sense it was more just her because this seems like it was her as a person just walking out and be like, listen. I'm good business. You want to be in this business? Trust me. I will not let you down and I'll show you what you're doing. And like, oh, how amazing. Yeah, I feel like Rhonda is so no bullshit and like such a straight shooter that I imagine, yeah, her going in with like whatever her team was at the time being like, this is money. You want to make some more money. And we're also like just making waves. How crazy is it too to think of like that time, like with what Invicta was doing to... Now seeing where the women are at in such a short period of time, to be able to really see it before our very eyes, you see the women main eventing, co-main eventing, like really getting like the machine behind them and making big stars. It's really cool to see the sport grow. What is it like for you um, now even being on like the broadcast side of it and being able to witness it all? It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's genuinely amazing. And Misha is such a great example. Cause I remember I met Misha, I want to say 2009, maybe. And, uh, you know, she was, I don't, it might've been like pre-strike force for her or early strike force, but regardless, like none of us were on the map yet. And frankly, there wasn't really, this is what I try to explain to people like who, don't understand how real my passion is for the sport because they haven't seen me fight. Like, so there's always this like, yeah, but did she, um, I, I was doing this purely for the love of it because there was no end game when I was doing it. There was no, Oh, you can get rich. Oh, you can have a career. Oh, you can become famous. That didn't exist. It was not a possibility for me. And so me falling in love with the sport was just genuinely about the sport and its athletes and, and what MMA did to my soul when I would do it. So to see it grow into what it's become is, man, I'm just so like, I don't know the right word, lucky, blessed, honored, all of those things at once to be able to be a part of it in a different way now, especially when we're talking about women. There are so few mainstream sports, and honestly, I'm going to say MMA is the only one, where women are truly presented on the same level, on the same platform as their male counterparts are. But I'll tell you the difference between MMA and every other sport like that. In MMA, the women train with the men every day. And so there is an inherent respect that's built in day to day in the gym. And like the period of time when I was doing it, that's what we were fighting for. It was less about like fame and money and and having some amazing record. It was like, no, I'm going to show up at this gym. You're going to look at me like I'm crazy. You're going to probably haze me for the first couple of months. And then I'm going to survive it. And I'm going to be here and I'm going to try to outwork everybody else in this room so that you know what I'm about. And it really was just that. Is there a part of you that's like a little like annoyed or frustrated that you couldn't be a part on the physical side of things of what's happening now? Yeah. 
I'd be lying if I said I didn't have it. You know, Paige Van Zant and I debuted on the same on the same card on the same night. We both got wins, both got finishes. And so, like, I know that if there had been an atom weight division in the UFC, like I I know that I could have gone on to have a solid career in the UFC. Like I have, there's no doubt in my mind. In fact, I'm like, probably my biggest thing. What's funny to me is like, there's not that much footage out out there of me fighting. And I'm so much better than the footage that does exist. That it's really, that's the irritating part because my growth as a fighter really happened after I quit competing actively. And so there's definitely a part of me that wants to get back to some form of competition just to like prove to people that I'm, I'm about that life. So if you were to fight at say straw weight, who would you want to fight? I don't think I would fight at straw weight. Even now that's the thing. Like I'm not really built to compete with those women because they walk yeah. around at like, you know, 130, 135, but in a pretend world, who would I want to fight? That's a good question. Probably another grappler. I was always much better at the grappling arts than, but my striking is a lot better than like I showed in my fight. That's for sure. Well, what do you think about what we just saw? I know you were just working UFC 274 with what happened between Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza because that was, um, you know, pretty controversial. And for Carla to walk away as a new strawweight champion uh, with not much happening during that fight, what was your takeaway from that? Well, it was definitely frustrating to watch as a fan. And there's a parallel, I guess, to be drawn. I'm sure you felt this at times too. It's almost like there's more pressure um, on women to like perform because there's fewer opportunities. There's more judgment. Anyone that would be talking shit or thinking negatively was just given reason, which sucks. Yeah, exactly. Now, have there been crappy male fights? Absolutely. I mean, I think they were rattling them off during the broadcast. You know, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis certainly comes to mind for me, you know, and, and it was on par with that. I don't think any, I don't think either of them is proud of it. I think that when you watch the fight, you can see a probably better fighter in Rose Namajunas. She took Carla down with ease when she finally decided that she was going to. She did a great job of defending Carla's takedowns, but Carla was tenacious in the moments that she was trying to be. So I I do think that Rose is probably the more complete fighter, but Carla won on the judges' scorecards. And I think she won that fight rightfully so because we don't score the fight as a whole. We score it round by round. And there is a criteria for how you score round. And I don't disagree with the way that it was scored. It just sucks. Something that you said that I find interesting, and I think this definitely applies to female broadcasters as well, is, you know, if you're working with, you know, a male or there's other men in broadcasting that maybe get a fact wrong or mispronounce somebody's name or something like that, it's like, it. nobody gives a shit. If I were to do it or you were to do it, we would be burned. Oh my God, would the internet ever explode? There is that pressure on women. I mean, and and really in any spotlight to be perfect. You cannot waver. You cannot have the errors because we're just judged in a far different way. Have you felt that as a broadcaster? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even more so in the situation that I'm trying to like put myself in, right? So as you know, in broadcasting, there are certain lanes. There's like the host lane, the reporter lane, the play-by-play lane. And those people tend to be the more seasoned, true broadcasters. And then you have the analysts and the color commentators who tend to come up through the sport and are the ones with the hands-on knowledge. And what's difficult about what I'm trying to do and what I'm doing is 
jump lanes. And it's never been done before in MMA where you've had a reporter that's like, no, no, all of a sudden I'm worthy of having an opinion and you should listen. So there's a lot of pressure when I'm calling fights on the contender series next to Daniel Cormier. And he has this inherent, as he has earned inherent credibility because you can go on the internet and see his fights. And we we've seen the belts around his waist. And then there's me (laughs) who does not have the inherent credibility. So the credibility I've had to scrape and claw for every iota of it that I have been able to garner so far. And that's probably the toughest part of it is knowing that one little slip up takes a huge chunk out of that. It's just a mistake. And we all make mistakes. We all know we make mistakes. But I can assure you that if Laura Sanko on her first UFC broadcast confuses an anaconda for a Dars, I'm going to feed into every stereotype that I hear about myself on the internet. God, the pressures are fucking real, man. I always tried not to think about those things when I was going out and broadcasting. And, um, you know, I think there's definitely a a gift to the art of being able to laugh at yourself or be like, oh, whoops, I, I meant blah, 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 whatever. Or honestly, even having a broadcast partner that knows you well enough and trusts the situation well enough to even point stuff like that out so that you can have a conversation about it instead of glossing over and being like, oh my God, there was this glaring error and we're just moving past it to like try not to make you feel bad or to not draw more attention to it. Or like sometimes I would prefer to just be like, can we just talk about the weird thing that just happened and we'll just fix it and we'll move on from that. But yeah, I know those pressures can just be uh, so insane. It's such a weird, I'm sure you got this too. It's such a weird catch 22. It's like on one hand, there's pressure to look a certain way. And on the other hand, if you do look a certain way, there's no possible way that you could know what you're talking about. Yeah. What a double-edged sword that is, huh? It's very, very strange. And I love to remind like the fans that are like, well, she had, you know, whatever she had, like eight, you know, six amateur fights and one pro fight. Like what the fuck does she know? And I want to be like, well, that is six more fights than Greg Jackson had. And that is six more fights than Eric Nixick had. And are you going to question those coaches on what they know about MMA, like the fans forget that there are actually a host of experts and they are real experts within the MMA world that haven't fought once. (laughs) That's like, I mean, shit, look at Stephen A. Smith. I don't even know what that dude makes, but it is like a lot, a lot, a lot of cash. And, you know, he gets paid to have his opinions, to be his personality and all of those things. But, but for women, it is just, yeah, it is really hard to, to come by and hard to kind of it's just, it's just a rough thing to try to navigate. But I think once you're in there, I mean, I, I think you do a awesome, beautiful job with what you do. And um, so when you were moving from, to, from being a fighter into broadcasting, how did that come about? Was that something that you wanted to do or did somebody else kind of say, hey, you're a good speaker. Do you want to try this? Yeah, no, it just kind of happened. Um, I was in camp for my next fight and I ended up getting pregnant. And so I Uh, When I told Invicta, I was like, hey, can't do this fight. So sorry. Um, I was obviously going to be on the shelf for a little while. And Shannon Knapp, who owned Invicta at the time, called me up and she said, hey, what would you think about doing an interview? Uh, We don't really have someone that does that on the team. And we've got Marluz Kuman coming in town and she's a legend. And we want to do like a sideline little piece with her. And I said, yeah, I mean, I can do that. But like, I've never I've never held a microphone before. I've never interviewed someone before. I've never even looked at a camera before. So sure, I can try it. But yeah, that's, that was the beginning. And then, then they kind of moved me into doing the post-fight interviews live, which that's a, that's a crazy jump when you think about it, because, you know, I didn't have, like, I 
had no training on how to do it, what the right format is, where you stand, like how you keep them from moving around and like, oh my God, that can be rough. Stay on your spot. Stop moving around. All of the little things that I just kind of, I really had to learn on the fly on live television, which makes for some really interesting uh, clips, I'm sure that people can find on Fight Pass. That being said, I'm really not a believer in broadcast school. I never went to it. I just kind of cut my teeth figuring out what works and what didn't work. Granted, I got to do this on a much smaller scale and continue to kind of grow as I went, thank God. Um, But yeah, I mean, sometimes you see people that come out of a broadcasting school and they want to be so smooth and so polished and all of those really professional things that do make a broadcaster a great broadcaster. But I think in terms of fans being able to connect to you and they're like, oh, you're a person doing this thing and I like you and I can see who you are. You're not hiding behind all of these skills that you've honed while you're uh, in college or whatever. So yeah, I think being able to kind of jump in there and figure it out, it's kind of almost like, I always think it's better. I wouldn't do it any other way. And I think that maybe that's the one thing I've really been able to communicate as I've you know, navigated all of these many different jobs I do uh, for the UFC and for other organizations is just at the end of the day, I feel like the fans can tell that I'm a real fan, like a real fan. I didn't go to school and then fall in love with MMA. Like I've been, I've been here. I've been you guys, you know, I've been the fan and I've just sort of worked myself into this position. So kind of the same way, I think the special sauce that Joe Rogan brings to the broadcast is, I mean, yeah, he's smooth and he's personable, but really at the end of the day, it's like, He's just so infectious in terms of how much he loves the sport and the moments in the sport and obviously knows his stuff as well. So has he given you any little nuggets of wisdom along the way? He's an interesting guy because he's such a huge, huge star now that a lot like Dana, he kind of just like zooms in the building, does his thing and then zooms right out. I've wondered that. It's funny. I saw Megan Olivia posted a picture with like her and the, the whole gang from 274. And I was like, yeah, I wonder like. Is Rogan just there like hanging out with the guys like cage side before the event starts and they're going over their notes or like for a few minutes, for a few minutes. But I think it's relatively quick. But I had a really nice conversation with uh, Joe last summer. And, you know, to be honest, I I wasn't really sure if he even really knew who I I guess maybe I thought he would kind of know who I was, but we had never really had a long interaction before, just interactions and passing. And just so happened that we kind of got stuck behind stage waiting for Connor to make it to the weigh-ins and had a really nice conversation. And man, it just, it meant a lot. He's like, I didn't realize he knew what I was trying to do to be, you know, to be the first female color commentator. And there's always a little trepidation because it's like, there's part of me that is in my head wondering, like, is he sitting there thinking, Oh, darling, you think you can do what I do? That's adorable. You know, like the insecure part of me, assumes that that's what he's thinking, but that wasn't it at all. And he was incredibly gracious. And he said, listen, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of people that tell you that you can't do it. But he's like, I didn't have any fights and look at me. He said, you're killing it. And uh, I'm, he said, he said, you know, I hope we get to call fights together one day. So it was really, it meant a lot. So when is this going to happen? When are we going to get to hear you on a pay-per-view stepping into that spot? Let's walk before we run. <laughs> <laughs> I like to just shoot high. Well, obviously, pay-per-view is, is, the, is the end goal, but that's probably a ways off. I, I, in the interim, I would settle for calling any fight night. Um, obviously, the biggest step was taken last summer when, when I got hired to do color commentary for Contender Series. And it's been a great experience because I've been able to work with 
called fights alongside DC and Bisping and Paul. And I have a great relationship with Dom. So I feel like I'm proving to the the powers that be that like I can I can mix and meld with anybody that they would put me with. There's a uh, there's a new show that is going to happen in the beginning of June. That's kind of like a Asian contender series. It's called Road to the UFC, and it's going to be a tournament style for fighters coming out of the Asia regions. And so while we are in Singapore, I'm going to be calling those fights. Uh, and it's it's neat because it'll, it'll be my first time calling fights by myself. It'll be me uh, as the only color commentator and then uh, John Gooden on play by play. So, whoa, that's crazy. That's that really is a big difference because being in a three man booth or whatever can really make such a difference. That's one thing that like I always found when I was doing the three man booths is it's like trying to find your rhythm. What is my spot in here? Like you would have the one analyst doing X, Y, and Z. What is my voice? What am I trying to bring to the table? But yeah, when you are the only color commentator, yes, you've got to fill more time, but it does give you more space to breathe. I always felt like I was kind of doing like double Dutch. Like how do I jump in here? Yes. And you know, the guys that I call fights with are, are they're very big personalities. And I, I'm also not like, I'm well aware that people want to hear Daniel Cormier's thoughts before they hear mine. And I'm fine with that. He, he was very much, you know, the lead or whatever. And I would find myself at times being like, well, he just covered that, you know, <laughs> like, and then I would cease and then I would see something like, oh, okay, this is what, this is what I'm going to go. I'm like, oh, well, he covered that too. Okay. <laughs> I know. I remember doing that too. And like, you know, I did commentary for like over a year with WWE calling Monday Night Raw and there were so many times and I didn't always have it in my head that I wanted to do commentary. But when the opportunity became available, I was like, yeah, of course, I would love to be the first woman to do commentary and, and join Monday Night Raw. Like amazing. But as I was like, yeah, really figuring out what I was trying to do, I instantly be like, I'm going to say this one thing. And then the other commentator would say the thing. I'm like, well, it at least kind of lets me know that mentally I'm on the track of where I'm supposed to be. Oh yeah. I mean, that part was nice. That part was nice. I'm like, well, they're not seeing anything I'm not seeing. So yes. Yeah, exactly. I know it's like, it's reassuring, but I'm like, shit, I wish I was the one that got to say that. Damn it. Give that back to me. Um, but that is really cool. I cannot wait to hear you on the call more and to get those opportunities. Um, what is it like working with Dana? What what kind of feedback do you get from him? You know, honestly, he's probably been the, the most supportive person of this from the from the get go. I think a lot of times, you know, when people are like, why haven't they put her in there yet? They just automatically assume like, oh, the UFC is misogynistic or something. And it's not that like it's really it's, it's not that it's a host of other factors. And I believe that the people above me make the decision that they do for a lot of reasons and very good reasons. There's also something to be said for setting somebody up for proper success. If you're put in a spot before you might be fully ready to do so, that doesn't benefit anybody. So if you're able to kind of marinate uh, in another spot, and then when you actually get in there, it is the time to go that serves everybody so much better. Absolutely. And I think that that's, I mean, I, I hope that that's what they're doing because they, uh, you know, they've, they've started to use me as an analyst uh, on the desk more. And like I said, you know, not only calling contender series, but now calling uh, road to the UFC, I feel like things are moving, you know, and, and I'm an analyst on the way in show. I'm not hosting that show, you know, so I'm starting to be put in more and more uh, positions where I'm there for my opinion and my analysis and not just to ask questions or direct direct traffic. Not that's its own skill set. I'm not dogging on that at all. It's just not what, you know, my goals are. Um, so I really hope I'm trying to, to manifest 
by the end of the year uh, that I will call at least I want to call at least one fight night by the end of 2022. So we'll see. I mean, there's enough of them. You know, there's plenty of these fight nights. So let's every time there's every time there's a one man booth. I'm like, I'm, I'm so close to texting my boss and be like, I'm not that expensive. Like I could be there right now, you know, I'll give you a deal. Just let me in there. Let me do it. I have a, I have a funny, you asked about Dana. I have a funny story. So when I first started like being friends with him, it was such a random thing because, you know, again, I'm a fan. So like Dana White, you know, oh my gosh. And I remember the first time I interviewed him that I was just like, so starstruck and, you know, overwhelmed by, oh my God, it's Dana White. Um, so finally, you know, I, years later, or not that long, but a year or two later, I get the job at the UFC and I get hired for, I did start doing like reporting on fight nights before I did contender series. A lot of people think contender series was my first thing, but it wasn't. Um, <clears throat> so the first year of contender series, he didn't really, he never put his, uh, headphones on or his ear earbuds or whatever it is he wears at the time when we were in the tough gym. And so he knew I was there and like doing things. I'm sure he would hear feedback from people like, oh, how's Sanko doing whatever. But it wasn't until season two that he like put his headset on and there was a show and I can't remember which one it was, but it was early in that season where I was in the back, like watching fights, getting ready, taking notes. And he literally got up out of his seat, walked back there and he comes back and he goes, he goes, holy fucking shit. He's like, you really know what you're talking about. And I was like, yeah, I do. He said, literally everything I would ask these fighters after the fights is what you're asking. You're seeing all the same stuff I'm seeing. I was like, yeah. So that's kind of like when we, I don't want to say hit it off, but like that was kind of when we started interacting. And then, you know, I don't ever want to bug him, but I've always known what I wanted to do in the UFC. I just never thought it was possible. And then I, I, it was just liquid courage. Honestly, like I kind of got a little bit hammered one night at the hotel bar. <laughs> That's where all the deals happen is at the hotel yes, bar. I got hammered and it was at the Palms and I went back up to my room and I'm laying there in bed and I'm like, I'm just going to do it. So I messaged him on Instagram, I think. And I was like, Hey, thanks so much for like your words of encouragement this season. It's been a great season. I love this show so much. Da 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 da. Like thank you for the opportunity just so you know, like I will be the first female commentator in the UFC. I'm not saying it happens next year. I'm not saying it happens two years after. It was like my, I was like on the mic, I am it. And he just texted back and it was probably like two o'clock in the morning. I don't even remember. He just texted back. He goes, he goes, uh, I believe you. I know you will retrospectively, I'm sure he was like, oh my God, I believe you. Like, why are you texting me at two o'clock in the morning or messaging me or whatever? But I also think he meant it because he's always had belief that, that I could, I could succeed in this position. It's just taken a lot of, you know, like I said, scraping that credibility together. So it would make sense for them to put me there. Of course. And that is a thing that like, it takes time and as frustrating as that can be when you're like, well, I feel like my chops are where they need to be. It's getting everybody on the same page. And like, you got to kind of get the fans ready for that as well. How do, how were the fans when you, when you called your first WWE fight? Are our fan bases similar? Cause I'll be honest with you, Renee. I'm not a wrestling fan. Hey, hey, that's all right. I ain't mad at you. I mean, it's I know who you are, but like, I don't, I don't really watch a lot. When it was first announced that I was going to be the first woman calling Monday Night Raw, fans were 
amazing. They were like, hell yeah, she is the girl to be doing it. This is amazing. Like they were so, so great. Like ESPN put out this article and it was awesome. It, it felt like such a great day. And I will say when I first went out there to do it, because it kind of came out of the blue. I was not calling matches anywhere else. I was do I was hosting shows. I was doing interviews. I was doing a bunch of different things, but I was commentary was not one of them. And um, yeah, my my boss, it was Triple H and Michael Cole. They came up to me and they're like, hey, next week, Monday Night Raw, you're gonna step in and do color commentary. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Why not? And at this point, you know, I had been at WWE for quite some time, I guess like seven years, something like that. So I was like, I need my next thing. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, kind of similar to what you're saying, there wasn't, there was no prototype for me to follow. I wasn't looking to like, oh, this is what I want to do here. So I was really always trying to figure that out. So anyways, they tell me I'm going to be calling Raw and I'm like, oh, okay, great. Let's give it a whirl. What do I have to lose? Um, so I went out and I did it and I felt no pressure. I felt so ready. Like I just walked out there and I was like, this is how it's supposed to feel. I am right where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing this. It's awesome. Call the show and everyone's really happy with it. The fans loved it. Vince McMahon loved it. Um, and it was all great. And then they put me in the role permanently, maybe a month after that, something like that. Um, and, and that's when it, it started to get a little bit, not, not right then, but you know, maybe a, you know, two, three months after that, it started to get a little bit hairy of what am I doing? We're calling a three hour show every week in this three man booth. And I wasn't really ready for it because I had not been doing commentary before. And I also like, I just, I felt very, very lost when I was doing it. I wasn't sure what the direction was. I wasn't really sure what my voice was supposed to be out there. So I started to lose confidence in myself I could feel fans getting like a little like they weren't sure how to feel about it. If you're not owning it, that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that started to become a, a very frustrating thing. And there would be times that we'd walk away and be like, that was a great show. That was a lot of fun. We could be loose and have fun. But I imagine it's a little bit different in pro wrestling, though, because we are produced in a different way. What is the production side for you guys? Like, is someone in your ear talking to you a lot during uh, during this commentary? During commentary, no. Certainly, they get in your ear about traffic and flow. The only instance where they get in your ear while you're commentating is usually, like, if you're postulating about, like, oh, was that an eye poke? Then clearly someone in the truck was able to look, you know, at the highlight. Oh, yeah, it was. An and they'll tell you, like, yes, was an eye poke or whatever. That kind of is the thing with WWE where I feel like it's such a hot spot to be in that commentary spot because everybody knows like Vince McMahon is in your ear during the show and you get different direction during during the shows as well. Like sometimes you're calling the match. Other times you're not. Other times you're doing storytelling of other things. This is coming up on the show uh, or this is what so-and-so was doing throughout the week. And you're trying to, it's, it's a different kind of storytelling in terms of like you're not, you're not always just calling the action of what you're seeing on the monitor. It's this whole other like weaving fairy tale of this is happening and that's who this person is and this is what the story is and blah, blah, blah. And this is the heel and the baby face and this like, you know, storytelling that we're trying to do on commentary. So that can make it a little bit different where I started doing it and I was like, 
I don't know what is going on right now. It it definitely got uh, a little bit crazy. It was a great experience. I'm really glad that I got to do it, but I also was like, okay, I'm ready to not do this anymore. <laughs> Unless you've done it, I don't think people realize how physically exhausting it is to talk for, you know, the UFC broadcasts can be like seven hours. Oh my gosh. Especially the play-by-play. So, I mean, my gosh, John Anik, I worship at the altar of John Anik. That guy is absolutely incredible (laughs) seriously right actually your guys entire broadcast team I think is very very strong you guys have like I don't feel like you guys have any duds agree I think everybody's got their their own flavor their own you know sort of forte some are a little bit more loose and funny than others and some are you know super super technical which I find fascinating and I, I actually really like that style and yeah everybody kind of brings their own flavor which is which is fun fight fans take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to one thousand dollars from FanDuel Sportsbook even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out new customers get up to one thousand dollars back if your first bet doesn't win Just sign up using the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get up in there. Make some money. You guys can choose from the money line and the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. The app is so freaking easy to use. And when you win, you get paid real fast. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada. My home province. Let's get after it. So to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable set credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. And visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Um, okay, before I uh, let you go here, I was trying to do a bunch of research on you and you're kind of a hard woman to pin down. Why are you so private? You're very private about your personal life. Well, my husband hates having his picture taken. Absolutely hates it. Get in line. He hates social media. So it literally, I think, I don't think he even like had been on Instagram until last year. Now he's on there, but like secretly, I'm not even sure if I know like which account is his. He just doesn't enjoy limelight. Never has. Even before I started doing anything in television, like he's just not a look at me kind of guy. He's super loud and obnoxious and like has a very big personality. You'd think that he would be a look at me kind of guy, but he's just, he's just not. So that's why everybody's like, why don't you ever post pictures of your, it's not because I don't want to, it's because he has no interest in being on my Instagram page. That's my husband too. It's so funny. I mean, on the very rare occasion that I'll be like, 
fuck it, I'm overriding you on this one. I'm posting your photo for this. But generally, I keep him off my Instagram too. He hates it, hates it. I mean, he's a professional wrestler that has a camera in his face all the time. You think that he'd be like a little more chill about it, but he loathes it, hates it. It's funny though, because he does, he does, um, he's probably on Twitter a lot more than he's on Instagram. And he's figured out how to like search my name. So anybody that's, that's talking about me or whatever. And I do find him like, occasionally fighting my battles for him. I'm like, I'm like, just don't even respond to them. My mom would do that. So I've had my, the comments are off my Instagram, except for people that I follow. And because I would open my Instagram account and it's like all oh, these comments and blah, 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 blah. That I, and then I'd open it and be like, oh my God, my mom is arguing with people in my comment section. <laughs> She's like, I can't help myself. I'm like, listen, I get it. And I appreciate it. But like, don't do it. Please, for the love of God, don't do it. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for, for jumping on with me. We finally got to hang out. Hopefully we'll be able to hang out in person at some point because I feel like it would just be a hell of a time. I agree. We got to make it happen. You're in Iowa, right? I'm in Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, Midwest, you know, not, not too far no, off. No, no, no. I'm a new far. Midwest woman and I'm really leaning into it. This is how we dress. We wear hats and t-shirts. This is what we do. I love it. I love it. Always ready to put in a little work, you know? Who knows what's got to be done? <laughs> Renee, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Laura. So good to hang out with you. Same, same. Let's keep in touch. Yes, definitely. A big thank you to Laura for hanging out with me. Definitely next time that uh, UFC is either in Cincinnati or somewhere in this area. Her and I need to hang out. We need to like tell some tales off mic, have a hangout, two gals, just gallon it up in our baseball hats. Um, now, you guys, um, the next episode that is coming up for real, as I promised before, is William Regal. Um, he pretty much took over the sessions when we sat down and did our interview. Be prepared for that. And who's going to complain about that, right? His Lordship, Sir William Regal. He's the best. And it was just his birthday. We adore you, William Regal, the leader of the Blackpool Combat Club. Everybody collectively bow down to his lordship. He's a man. It'd be really fun to sing uh, an entrance theme. Maybe I'll talk to Tony, see if he'll let me do one. I'll just send him some demos and see what he thinks. We can probably um, put together a, a little demo tape from all the bullshit that I've sang on here uh, every once in a while. Any hoodles, guys, it's been fun hanging out. I hope that you enjoyed Laura Senko. Give the chick a follow. She's fantastic. I'm a huge fan. Uh, you guys should all be huge fans. Maybe you are already. And uh, yeah, until next time, guys, this has been Les Sessions. <laughs>